Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Would you like to contribute to the conversation? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in? Jay Talking with Bradley Jay. I listen to morning with the sun up. I'm busy. WBZ News Radio 1030. I tune my radio to AM 1030. The radio's all yours now. I talk to a man whose name is Bradley J. Improved my mind in a wonderful way. I just called in to see what condition conversation was in. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in. Yo, Jay Duggan Live, we're here midnight to five. We're very keen on history here, particularly, particularly revolutionary history. It is Boston, after all. And that's why we're extremely pleased to have Christian Despina on, author of Founding Martyr, The Life and Death of Dr. Joseph Warren, the American Revolution's Lost Hero. Thank you for being with us, sir. Thank you for having me, Bradley. Now, lost hero. Can you talk about what you mean by lost? Well, I mean, when you compare Joseph Warren's name to the titans, these founding fathers like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, um, he's not well-recognized his name. And even in Boston, as, as recognized as he is, once you move out of the state of Massachusetts, his name becomes less and less recognized. And it's a shame because really he's one of the most important revolutionaries in the decade leading up to independence. You found some sources that others have not sourced when writing their uh, Warren books. Plus you spoke to some survivors. Right. I had found some incredible primary source documents, some material culture pieces. I found a piece from a missing medical ledger books. And, and this was one of the challenging things about the project, right? The reason there's only been a handful of biographies written on Dr. Joseph Warren is because of the dearth of primary source material. So I think there's been less than five biographies written in the 250 some odd years since his death. And I was able to track down the direct descendants of Dr. Joseph Warren and every book, anything written on him in the past 150 years has claimed that the direct line had become extinct about a century and a half ago. And when, in fact, they are not, there's about 30 of them. They had some amazing family heirlooms. They opened their homes to me. It allowed me to deconstruct this project in a way that hadn't been done in centuries. And we, again, we found some great pieces of mourning a mourning ring, which was a piece of jewelry that he had made when his wife passed away, this missing medical ledger piece, a um, a vast amount of primary source documents. I think when you total it all up, I think we came up between five and six dozen new discoveries about this man. And when you put that in comparison to other founders that we have the benefit of a vast track record of primary source letters, documents, diaries, this was an incredible amount of new discoveries 
able to open up a new window on this man's personal life. You talk about Warren being at the center of colonial intrigue and against the British. Let's talk about the intrigue part. Right. So we know that Warren is heading a vast intelligence network, which predates Nathan Hale and George Washington's famous spy network. He's president of the Massachusetts Provincial Congress. He's head of the Committee of Safety. He delivers two fiery Boston massacre orations. He's writing polemical tracts, articles. He authors the Suffolk Resolves, which was really the precursor document to the Declaration of Independence. Had, had Warren done nothing else but author this document, we would owe him an enormous debt of gratitude. He, he's nominated a major general three days before the Battle of Bunker Hill. He's a grandmaster of ancient Scottish Rite Masons throughout North America. He champions the non-importation agreements. He's a physician. He's administering, he's administering smallpox inoculations. He's a Harvard graduate. He's a professional. He's a gentleman. He's involved in every major insurrectionary event in the town of Boston between 1765 and 1775. I mean, he has, he is at the center of all this action. And when you really look at it, Boston is a microcosm of the revolution in this decade leading up to independence. And whether behind the scenes or on the front lines, Warren is involved in every single event. It's pretty hard to understand why he was, why he is kind of underappreciated. If you could, if you go out of Boston and mention Dr. Joseph Warren, nobody's going to know who he is. Yet, he was as active and as indispensable as, say, Sam Adams. And Sam Adams never went on to be do anything really in the government afterwards. So I don't understand why Sam Adams is famous and Warren is not. Well, let's let's really break it down into a couple of things. I mean, we could spend an hour talking about this. I mean, I spent a, a really good amount in the latter part of the book talking about the vicissitudes of his legacy. But if I could really sum it up, okay, Warren dies at the age of 34, a year before the Declaration of Independence is declared. So he's not part of this later triumphalist phase of American history. He dies not as an American, but as a traitor to King George III. And when you really look at it in 1775, okay, most of the founding fathers are at the Continental Congress. Warren is the on-the-ground leader. He's fighting at the Battle of Bunker Hill and gets killed. So ironically, this one afternoon, this battle on June 17, 1775, where Warren is killed, immediately overshadows his decade of resistance activities because now he's become catapulted as the hero, the martyr of the American Revolution, right? He becomes the first American hero and martyr in the colonies at this time. And when anybody recognizes his name, it's either, oh, yeah, he's the guy who got killed at the Battle of Bunker Hill, or, oh, yeah, he's the guy who dispatched Paul Revere and William Dawes on their midnight ride. And that's the betrayal of this afternoon, that he becomes known for this and nothing else really in those 10 years prior to that. And that's, that's quite a thing. I, I try to picture what they went through that day and what he went through that day. Maybe you can bring it to life a little more than I can with some detail. Well, we know that Warren reaches his zenith of power in what's been referred to as the 60 days, the period between Lexington and Concord and Bunker Hill. Warren's almost killed at Lexington and Concord when a musket ball shoots out a hairpin from his head. Now, he shows up to the Battle of Bunker Hill that afternoon. It's a very hot, muggy day. There's no wind. So you can imagine as the British are firing on Charlestown, Charlestown is just ablaze. There's billowing smoke. There's musket fire. There's cannon fire. I mean, the conditions are just absolutely brutal. And this really was one of the bloodiest battles of what would be an 
eight-year revolution, okay? There's more casualties at this battle than there would be at any other battle throughout the entire American Revolution. And when Warren shows up, even though he's been nominated a major general, he shows up to fight as a volunteer, and he has to fight in the hottest part of the battle, which is the redoubt. Now, the British that day make three assault charges to try and penetrate Patriot lines, and they're successful on the third attempt only because the Patriots run out of ammunition. Now, throughout this two hours, the British officers are being picked up. Basically, it's Patriot target practice because they're mounting this hill. And once they scale the walls of that redoubt, it descends into a blood rage. There's hand-to-hand combat. The Patriots are throwing stones at the British soldiers. They're using the butts of their muskets to beat them back. And it really turns into a violent scene. We know from letters that Warren's body, after he shot through the face, is bayoneted and beaten and mutilated. He's stripped of his clothing, his personal possessions are taken, and he's dug in a three-foot shallow ditch where he remains for the next nine months until the siege of Boston is broken in April of 1776. So it really is a horrific battle. And I mean, we have the benefit of hindsight, right? We can look back on this and say, oh yeah, the battle took place. But when Warren shows up at this battle, they don't know if it's going to be a pitch battle, but it turns out to really be the first pitch battle of the American Revolution. And again, it's one of the most bloodiest and it has the most casualties. And again, like I said, when those British officers scale the walls of that redoubt, they've been humiliated at the battles of Bunker Hill. They fought at Nottles Island, Grape Island. They've watched their commanding officers being picked off one by one. And again, it's just a horrific hand-to-hand combat blood rage. Perhaps you can give me some insight on how someone can be so brave. You had D-Day. This is D-Day level stuff. And he didn't even have to do that. Uh, Warren chose to be where he was. What's the mindset? Is it is it because... I don't know. Life wasn't so great then. I guess it was pretty great for him. People didn't expect to live that long. I guess I'm asking, how could he be so brave? You know, it really is amazing because when you compare him to modern day figures, I mean, he did it all voice, pen and sword. And I mean, he had a lot to live for. I mean, he was a professional. He was wealthy. And even more so, he had four orphan children because his wife passed away two years earlier. So he had a ton of responsibility. He had one of the busiest medical practices in the, in the Bay Colony. And for him to go there, I mean, it was it was it was a bad move. When people find out that he's been killed days after the battle, most people even refuse to believe that someone as important as he was, who had risen to the top economic, social, and political circles in the colony, would have shown up to personally fight at the battle. You know, someone asked me the other day, like, what would that be like? And and I gave an example because I was speaking at the Charlestown Historical Society across the street from the Bunker Hill Monument. I said, just imagine we started waging a war and all of a sudden Marty Walsh showed up to fight with us. I mean, it immediately puts the provincial soldiers at ease thinking, here's a politician that shows up at the battle. I mean, it was just as outlandish then as it would be now. And he just demonstrated his bravery time and again throughout the Throughout that decade, look, in 1775, 
when he's about to deliver the Boston Massacre, he volunteers to do it, even though British soldiers in town are threatening to assassinate anyone who delivers that oration. I mean, he proved his bravery and his worthiness time and time again. He, he led by example. He was not content to just sit behind a desk and let others do the fighting. He was on the front lines when the founding fathers are in Philadelphia at this time period in 75. Warren is the on-the-ground leader. And you know, it's one of the great what-if questions in history. What if Warren had not gone to Lexington and Concord to dispatch Revere and Dawes on that midnight ride? What if he had not shown up at Bunker Hill? What if he had not authored the Suffolk Resolves? What if he had not been the head of this intricate spy ring? I mean, how different would things have been? What, what would happen had he not been killed at Bunker Hill? Would he have, what would he have gone on to accomplish? I was going to ask that. What do you think he would have gone on to? He, he would have had to at some point have been president, right? It'd be pretty hard for a guy like him not to well, be. It, it, it's hard to speculate, right? We have the benefit of hindsight, but let's, let's put it in perspective, right? Let's look at it through the correct historical lens from an 18th century mindset and not a 21st century mindset. This is Boston 1775. It's not the miraculous victory at Yorktown in 1781. When George Washington arrives in Cambridge in July of 1775, He's just been nominated as the general of the Continental Army. He's not well known throughout the colonies. He's been a retired colonel of the Virginia Regiment since 1758. He hasn't been involved in a military conflict, let alone a successful one, in almost two decades. When he arrives in Cambridge, he has to fill Dr. Joseph Warren's shoes. I mean, a man of Washington's conviction, his own morality, his bravery, his courage, he could not help but emulate the actions of Dr. Joseph Warren, who paid the ultimate price on the battlefield, upholding and defending the ideals of liberty and freedom that he had been working for so assiduously for those 10 years leading up to independence. And it's a great loss. And you look, again, we keep saying with these great what-if questions, what, what if Warren had survived? Look, at the very least, he would have been able to make that transition of powerful Washington much smoother than it had originally gone. We know men like Samuel Adams and John Hancock. John Adams, they go on to become governors, presidents. I don't think it's out of the question to say that Warren definitely would have gone on to a major role within the American Revolution as a military officer and then been one of the major politicians in the fledgling United States of America. I mean, could he have been first president of the United States? It's possible. We'll never know. But there is no doubt that he would have played just as important of a role in the post-revolutionary era as he did in the pre-revolutionary era. We're with uh, Christian Despina, founding martyr, the life, death, the life and death of Dr. Joseph Warren, the American Revolution's lost hero. 617-254-1030 is our number. I'll take a call now if you like. And uh, Bobby in Charlestown, I would imagine that you'd want to call. Here's Jimmy in Walpole. Hi, Jimmy. Say hello to Christian. Hey, Brad. Hey, uh, Christian. Uh, you know, um, I worked in Brighton uh, for a long time uh, as a fireman. Um, I don't know if you know it, but that right next to the Stop and Shop, it's actually behind the Everett Street um, Senior Center. There's a big rock with a big plaque on it that says Dr. Warren's house was here. I don't know if you guys know that, um, but I, you know, we used to go there and get um, dinner and stuff. And I walked over, I was like, oh, what's this thing? And it's his, this is the house where he died. You know, obviously the house isn't there. It's a parking lot with a stop and shop. Um, and they say that they brought him from, 
you know, uh, Bunk uh, Breeds Hill or whatever it may be called, Bunk Hill Battle. Um, and there's a big rock there with a with a huge plaque on it. And it's pretty sad that no one ever goes and puts some flowers on it for uh, Patriot's Day or anything like that. Yeah, maybe I will. But, I didn't know about that rock. I'm going to go see it. Thanks very much, Jimmy. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I, did, I didn't know that. I'm guessing you did. Christian. No, I mean, we, we have evidence that Warren lived in Roxbury and in Boston. I've seen no documents uh, referencing him living there, but I know that there's been a great effort and sort of a revival of Warren. To, I know there was a statue recently dedicated at his gravesite in Forest Hills in October of 2016. I mean, just today, the 244th anniversary of his death, King Solomon's Lodge went and as they do annually they lay a wreath at the bunker hill monument there was a number of dignitaries and politicians who spoke honoring warren and the men who gave their lives in the battle 244 years ago so you know again there is there are people out there and there are remembrances of him and there are dedications but again he's just not part of this national conversation it's a shame because you'd be hard pressed to find anyone more active than he was in that 10-year period Actually, if I have time tomorrow, or at least by this weekend, I'm going to go over there. Maybe I will. If there's a rock, I might put some flowers on it. I'm not going to go in any sort of chronological order, and I just think I ask you questions as they pop up. One of the artifacts that you found mm -hmm. was the medical note concerning a victim at the Boston Massacre, correct? Yes, so... So the Massachusetts Historical Society has two of Warren's existing medical ledgers, one from 60, 1763 to 1768 and 1774 to 1775. 69 through 73 have been missing for well over a century. I almost fainted when I saw it, but I actually bought a missing piece of this ledger about 10 years ago, and it chronicles him treating patients like Isaac royal slave. The royal family was one of the most powerful slaveholding families in Massachusetts. But Warren is also treating Christopher Monk, who's also unknown. He was the sixth victim of the Boston Massacre, who dies years later from complications of wounds received that day on March 5th, 1770. Man, if, if you like history, you, this book is for you. If you like the revolutionary history, this is this is solid gold. It's called Founding Martyr. You can just Go to the bookstore or get it online. Jim in Somerville, let's take a quick uh, comment from Jim in Somerville. Say hello to Christian Despina. Oh, yeah. Uh, was Warren a British officer originally? No, he wasn't. So when he's killed at Bunker Hill, he's 34 years old, and he never held a uh, commission uh, as, a, as a British soldier or, or officer. It's interesting because when I read the book uh, Snow wrote about Bunker Hill, he said that the British were so angry at him, they bet they buried him in a common grave because he originally was a British officer. Okay. But Thanks a lot, Jim. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. Can we take a look at Dr. Warren as a, as a kid? How far back do you go? How much do you know about his young days? Right, and, and that was one of the challenging aspects of the project because uh, that handful of biographies written prior to mine, I mean, his childhood years were a few pages at, at best. But um, I spent years researching his time at Harvard, and anyone who's going to become anyone in the colonies at this time has to attend a college. And Warren enters Harvard as a freshman in 1755. This is a social oasis for him. He's rubbing elbows with the sons of the top political figures in the colony, the sons of the Hutchinsons, the Hallowells, the Olivers. And this is where Warren really 
really excels. I mean, at the time, class rank is based upon the social standing of the student's parents, right? So it be, let's say you and I were in the same class, Bradley. If whosoever parents had more money would be ranked higher. So Warren goes into Harvard in 55 as a freshman, ranked 31 in a class of 45. He's at the bottom of this social barrel. His rank never moves up, but the amazing thing is that by his senior year, he's rooming with the number two and number eight scholars. He's being hailed as a distinguished scholar. And when he leaves the social oasis, he gravitates to the world of Freemasonry, where he meets guys like Paul Revere and John Hancock and members of the Loyal Nine. And so he gravitates into that world. He becomes a really prominent physician, and how he comes to power is... He, there's a horrific smallpox outbreak in 1764. Warren and about a dozen other doctors successfully inoculate hundreds of people. Not one person dies under Warren's watch, and immediately he becomes a hero in the town of Boston, right? Because at the time, there's no athletes, there's no superstar movie heroes. The heroes at this time are either military figures, nobility, and now these doctors. And you see the newspapers from this time hailing Warren and these other dozen physicians as the heroes who have saved the town of Boston from impending doom. And thus begins his rise to power. He opens this medical practice. It becomes one of the busiest, and he becomes proficient. His patient list is growing month month by month, and he's getting a reputation for being generous. He's canceling out fees that his patients owe him if they can't afford to pay their medical bills. I mean, he's really gaining a reputation in the town, right? And think about it. He's got so many patients, and he's there for the most intimate moments in their lives, the death of a loved one, the birth of a child. So people are really placing themselves in his trust and his care. And from this, he starts to use his status as a gentleman, his rise to wealth and power for the benefit of the Patriot Whigs. And look, Bradley, when you read these primary source documents, Warren not joining the Loyalist Tories was financial suicide because he's getting so much financial patronage from the Loyalists that it's almost shocking that he does decide to join with the Patriots. He had a brother, John. Uh, Did he go to school with John? I know that John was at least partially the founder of the, the medical school at Harvard, right? Yes, and, you know, from that line of the John Warren, so John Warren was about 12 years younger than Joseph. It's his youngest brothers. There's four of them. Joseph's the oldest. John's the youngest. From John Warren, there's an impressive uh, medical dynasty. I think there's nine generations of Harvard doctors. Uh, John Warren's son is the first doctor to perform an operation with ether. His son performs the first rhinoplasty. They're founders of Harvard Medical School, Massachusetts General. So really, I mean, this is another thing that Warren never gets credit for, that it's because of him there's this impressive medical dynasty. And not just doctors. I mean, prominent doctors throughout each generation. Are the folks that you met that had the artifacts, they descended directly from Brother John? No, and that was the thing, right? So every other book, like we had said, that had been written in the past 150-so-odd years claimed that the only descendants alive were through the John Warren or his other brothers. And they said that the direct line had died out in the late 1800s, but it, it, it didn't. And the amazing thing about this direct line was, again, 
not only the pieces, the family heirlooms they had, the family trees, which we were able to deduce so much information from, but they boast an impressive military dynasty. There's nine West Point graduates. There's nine commissioned military officers, six non-commissioned military officers. There's been a direct General Warren descendant that served in every major American conflict from the Civil War to now. How did you find these people when others failed? Did they just not look? You know, it's amazing. So, you know, I spent 20 years researching and writing this, and a lot of this is luck. You know, trust me, I'm not that smart. But what I did was I went to the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, where the only known painting of Joseph Warren is. Now, there's other paintings of him that are based on that original painting by John Copley, but I'd look to see who the trustee of the painting was. And it was a Dr. Carolyn Matthews. And I was able to get in touch with her family and they put me in touch with the family historian. And Dr. Carolyn Matthews is a doctor at Baylor University. She's the fifth great granddaughter of Dr. Joseph Warren. And once I was introduced to the family historian, him and I became really good friends. Like I said, the family opened their homes to me, showed me their material culture pieces, uh, a silver porringer handle that John Adams had given to Joseph Warren, family trees, yearbooks from West Point, letters, just, 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 a, just incredible pieces that really opened up a new window into Warren's personal life. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. In 1961, there's a biography written about Warren, and his biographer writes, this book is the first biography to come out in Warren in almost 100 years and is intended solely at a new look at his public career because a personal biography of Warren cannot be written. So here's his own biographer taking this glass-half-empty glass approach to the scholarship. And, you know, again, like I said, you know, I had the benefit of time on my side. I got lucky. I found the direct descendants. I was able to find things at auction. I was able to find things in museums and libraries and historical societies that had gone unnoticed for well over a century. And again, it just really opened up a new window onto Warren, his personal life, his years at Harvard, his family. You know, again, this is someone we have almost nothing on. And I was able to find between, you know, five and six dozen new discoveries about him, new pieces, new letters. There is a piece called The Death of Warren by a guy named John Norman, Norman which is a frontispiece. First, what is a frontispiece? And can you talk a little bit about the piece? Right. So this was a, you know, the amazing thing is anytime you see anything sketched, painted, drawn about Warren post Battle of Bunker Hill, 1775, it's in a military likeness, right? You, you almost lose sight of the fact that he was a physician. You know, you'll see him with these epaulets on his shoulders, or he's carrying a musket or a sword. And the ironic thing is that he doesn't serve as a major general, right? He serves as a volunteer that day. So there's all these depictions of him as this great military hero. And again, this ties back to the you know, contradiction of this single afternoon, right? You know, that's why his legacy is so obscured because he's just known as this hero. So it overshadows that decade before this battle. And again, it's just amazing when you see the drawings, when you see all these depictions post-1775, it's, it's, it's almost Napoleonic, right? He's, 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 he's this dashing military figure because, again, he becomes the first American hero. I can't stress that enough, Bradley. The hero in the colonies up to this point was a British general named James Wolfe who's killed during the French and Indian Wars. Warren becomes the first American hero and martyr, and that's visible through painting, sketches, frontispieces, uh, mezzotints, all, the, all these things you'll see. 
His skull is separated, and you can see it at the Mass Historical Society. Is that true? So I found images of his skull about 14 years ago, and these were daguerreotype images that were taken either in 1855 or 1856. It was taken in three different poses, uh, a frontal view, a back view, a side view. You could see clearly where the musket ball hits him in the front of the face and exits the back of his skull. I mean, I say in the book he was one of the most migratory corpses of all the founding fathers. He's moved at least four times, and one of the last times that he's unearthed to be reburied at Forest Hill Cemetery, his nephew, Dr. John Collins Warren, and his son, Jonathan Mason Warren, arranged to have these daguerreotype images of his skull taken. So they took the skull out, took the images, and then put it back, and and it is now interred at Forest Hills? Right. So he had been buried under St. Paul's uh, Church on Tremont Street. He was there from 1825 to 55. He's unearthed in 55. These images are taken. There was some recent controversy that the skull resided in the house for a year. It didn't. It was returned back to St. Paul's. And then on August 3rd, 1856, whatever remains are left are moved to Forest Hill Cemetery where they reside today. Okay, I hope we can get one more segment out of you because it's so interesting. Christian Despina, founding martyr, the life and death of Dr. Joseph Warren. This is Big Time Good. More in a moment on WBZ. I've got to talk to you privately. Say, who is this talking man? Bradley J. J. Talking. WBZ News Radio 1030. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you want to talk? About what? I'm talking about my life. I'm talking about form. I'm talking about content. I'm talking about interrelationships. I'm talking about God, the devil, hell, heaven. Do you understand? Okay, talk. Jay talking with Bradley J. WBZ News Radio 10:30. Christian Despina, founding martyr. It's about Joseph Warren. A bit more nuanced. Couple of questions here now. During the time of the revolution, not everybody got along. They weren't all, all for one. And well, they didn't all get along. They were different folks, and they had different uh, methods, and even in some cases, really different motives. Where did Warren fit in here? Who who did he hang around with? Who did he pal around with? And who did he not get along with? Was he more of a Sam Adams kind of guy? Was he more of a John Hancock type of guy? Who, where did he fit in? Yeah, I mean, the amazing thing is that, like I said, when you look at these primary source documents, you think by all rights, Warren, if you had to take a guess in in the years leading up to revolution, all arrows point in the direction of a British loyalist. So, again, think about it, right? Boston is a highly stratified society at the time. These guys like Samuel Adams, John Adams, John Hancock, they're all older than Joseph Warren, but incredibly they come to really rely upon him. I mean, he he really becomes the face 
of this movement, right? This is why he's delivering two Boston massacre orations. This is why he's involved in all these events. And again, he's always on the front lines, whether it's performing autopsies for the Boston massacre victims, whether it's writing these political tracts and newspaper articles, whether it's delivering these orations, whether it's writing the Suffolk Resolves, whether it's showing up on the battlefield and putting his life on the line, you know? And, and look, again, he gravitates to the world of Freemasonry. So he's really the amazing thing about Warren is that he's got a foot on both sides of the political divide. I mean, he's being sought after by both the patriots and the loyalists. He's such an attractive figure because he's young. He's a professional. He's a gentleman. He comes to wealth. He's gaining power. He's got a great reputation in the town of Boston. And again, he's one of the most attractive candidates to both sides of this conflict, and you see him decidedly cast his lot with the Patriots, and his physician's practice suffers as a result of this, but it's amazing because as you see those later medical ledgers, you don't see these powerful loyalist political figures seeking treatment from him. You see that rift at one point has definitely been broken, and he's hanging around men like Samuel Adams, John Adams, John Hancock. And, you know, and again, he's younger than these guys, but yet they, they show him a respect and deference that's that's really unbelievable for the time period. Did he was he tight with Cotton Mather? Was he a contemporary of Cotton Mather? Because I know Cotton Mather was pro inoculation, strangely being a religious person. And also strangely, Ben Franklin was against inoculation. But if if Warren was an inoculator, he was at least on the same side of that issue as Mather. Did they exist at the same time? And were they pals? Right. So the Mather family goes back many years. We, we know that Warren's maternal great-grandfather took a stand against the Mather family when it came to the Salem witch trials. And it's because of Warren's maternal great-grandfather's actions that the Salem witch trial hysteria did not spread to other areas around Boston, that it was contained in Salem. But we know that in 1721, there was a Dr. Zebdiel Boylston who was performing smallpox inoculations and his house was firebombed as a result. Because look, this is Puritan Boston, right? People are viewing smallpox at almost like God's divine intervention who's going to punish the sinners. Now, this is decades after the 721 firebombing, but, but smallpox inoculations are not this real popular mode of treatment, right? I mean, and it's a scary thing. We can almost compare it to the AIDS epidemic in the 80s or the recent outbreak of the Ebola virus. I mean, this was a death sentence to many people. So the fact that Warren is, again, on the front lines of this up-to-date medical techniques that he's learning from his medical mentor, Dr. James Lloyd, who learned the technique over in Europe, again, no one dies under Warren's watch during the 1764 smallpox outbreak. Everyone he inoculates lives. And again, this starts the rise to power, people putting their trust in him. Medically, politically, and, and again, it's just an incredible rise to power for someone who comes from these humble roots. He lived on Corn Hill for a while. Can you remind me where that is? I knew for a little I, while. That's that's modern day Washington Street. And again, you know, we can start to draw these concentric circles around Warren because we also know, well, who else was on Washington Street, Cornhill Street at the time? Revere. Henry Knox. Oh, Henry, Henry Knox. Knox had, yeah, Henry Knox had his bookstore on Cornhill Street. And, we, you know, I just made some other connections with Warren and Henry Knox because Warren 
was the family physician for the Fluckers. And Thomas Flucker was the third highest position holder in the Bay Colony. He was the royal secretary, and his daughter marries Henry Knox. So this could be one possible venue of where Warren is gathering and receiving intelligence from. So we also know that Warren was building a mansion estate in West Boston. And and the real smoking gun was that I discovered that for centuries we've been told that Warren dispatches Paul Revere and William Dawes from the home he was renting from the Green family on Hanover Street. Wrong. Warren left that house in 1772. So the, the shot set off, heard around the world, was actually started in a completely different location and a completely different home. Warren had left that home on Hanover Street, moves to a home called the Chardon property, and that's where he dispatches Revere and Dawes from on their midnight rides. And I mean, this is significant, right? This is like saying, well, the Declaration of Independence, that really didn't happen at Carpenter's Hall. It happened a half mile away somewhere. I mean, this is correcting the historical record. We're finding out these incredible things that have been buried beneath centuries of historical neglect. And, and it's and it's just amazing finds and amazing discoveries, right? That we're finding out that the Freedom Trail, this is where it all began. It started somewhere else. I have about four minutes with Christian, author of Founding Martyr. And I know this is a lot to ask. This may be beyond what, what you could be expected to know, but you might know. It's my understanding that the aforementioned Henry Knox was actually at the Boston Massacre for it. Now, we know that Dr. Warren treated somebody that was harmed there, but it, did he happen to be on that site at the moment it happened as well? You know, and here's the amazing thing, right? When you walk around downtown Boston now and you pass by the State House and Faneuil Hall and Old South Meeting House and where Hanover Street was in the North End, these these things are all within walking distance. And, and, and my great friend and colleague, John Bell, who runs a great blog here in Boston, he actually discovered a document that Warren signed in Boston on the day of the Boston Massacre. So we know that Warren was actually in Boston. He wasn't in Roxbury or some other town. He was in Boston. At the time, he would have been living within blocks of this happening. So if he wasn't there at the outbreak of the violence, he would have been there within minutes. And we do know, like you said, he's performing autopsies, he's treating patients, he's helping the wounded. So again, like whether it was planned or unplanned, behind the scenes, on the front lines, he's there for every major event. Right. So he, he might have been able to hear the crowd from where he oh, lived. He definitely. probably probably could have heard the gunshots for sure. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. One quick thing about John Singleton Copley. Never, I never really have talked about him, but he seemed to have known everybody. He, he had them sit for portraits. What can you tell me about Copley and his relationship to Warren? Right. I mean, well, there's a, there was just a great biography written uh, about John Copley by Jane Kamensky uh, called Revolution in Color. I mean, again, you know, there's great books coming out about this time period. And John Copley paints the Warren painting, right, in, in, in sometime in the 1760s. And, and what's revealing about that is if someone's having a painting commissioned of themselves, it speaks of their social and economic standing within this community. The other incredible thing is that we have a painting of Warren's wife, Elizabeth Hutton Warren. For centuries, we were told it was painted by John Copley or someone in his circle. I found primary source document proving that it was actually painted by Henry Pelham, who was John Copley's half-brother. Henry Pelham is also the gentleman that Paul Revere borrows 
quote-unquote, the Boston Massacre engraving from. And, and these are important things, again, because we're correcting the historical record, but we're also fanning out Warren's social network, right? It's just proving that he's got these connections with men like John Copley, who is a staunch loyalist, his half-brother Henry Pelham, who's another staunch loyalist. I mean, we have a letter that Henry Pelham wrote lamenting Warren's death after he's killed on Bunker Hill to the effect of, you know, I, I want to forget his political principles so I can lament his fate. And again, it just shows you how many... If Warren's fingerprints are everywhere, all over these events, it's in within all these concentric social circles, whether it's the strongest, highest, powerful political figures. I mean, you can tell from his ledger he's treating every rung of this social ladder, right? Slaves, sailors, ship captains, royal governors, royal secretaries, merchants, farmers. I mean, he's just doing it all. And it's amazing because he's omnipresent. Great guest, great book. It is uh, Founding Martyr. There's a whole lot more in there that we didn't get to. Founding Martyr, The Life and Death of Dr. Joseph Warren, The American Revolution's Lost Hero. And boy, we really thank you so much for spending this time with us, Christian Despina. If you ever, well, I'm sure you get here all the time, but you know, I'd love to have you in studio again when you come back again, if that's possible. Uh, that would be possible. I thought you asked some really great questions that I really appreciated because it really helped flesh out some of the information about Warren. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Well, thank I, you, you so know, much. I love it. We love it. And, and thank you so much. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.